Two weeks ago, we started on this series on how to live godly lives in the last days, and we painted the canvas of how dark it's going to be. But we concluded that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it up to that day. So if we just trust him, no matter how dark it gets, we will be uh, seen through, and we will live with him eternally. Last week, we looked at the individuality of it all, though. We looked at how even if Noah, Daniel, or Job were in our midst, they could only save themselves by accepting Christ. We can't do it. I can't save my children. I can't save my wife. My children can't save me. And we learned from these three individuals that Noah exemplified obedience. Daniel exemplified singleness of mind. He purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself in Babylon. And Job exemplified the fact that you can trust God no matter how dark this world can get. Job said, even if you kill me, in him will I trust. And Jesus himself, hanging on the cross, said, unto thy hands I commit my spirit. Jesus learned obedience to that which he suffered, and he was singleness of mind. When in Gethsemane, he said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. However, these three words that we learned, obedience, singleness of mind, and trusting in the dark, are proactive. They're deliberate choices we make when we're grounded in the Word of God. When we have a relationship with God, we can obey, we can have that singleness of purpose, and we can trust no matter how dark it gets. When we are committed to Him, active traits like obedience, singleness of mind, and our are about making deliberate choices and taking actions based on the values of our belief. But today we're going to look at a reactive word. But before that, I want to give you a true story that may help understand what we're going to be looking at. When I was in high school, back before you were even born, back in 92, when were you born? Me? Yeah. 2006. Mercy, yes. <laughs> Way before you were born. When I was in high school, I had a very cool teacher, French teacher, Mr. Rovere. Now, he wasn't young. He Well, he was 50, but back then we didn't think he was young. He had salt and pepper beard. He had a hair slicked back with a ponytail. I mean, all the guys thought, man, when I get his age, that's how I want to be. Like, Mr. Rivera, he was cool, suave. He had a convertible Mercedes he would drive to high school with. The ladies thought he was also like, man, why can't these high school idiots be as mature as this guy? Right? And, and he was, and he cared about us. All of us, he knew our personal stories, our personal struggles. He would remember things we spoke about, and he would talk to us. Him and Mr. Martucci are the only high school teachers I remember. And I would love to run into Mr. Rovere. Well, one day though, oh, let me give you from the older folks. He was like a Sean Connery type. You know, that cool, suave like guy. He, he had, like we wanted to be him. Well, one day in class, though, he wasn't a believer though. One day in class, he asked, how many people believe what the Bible teaches about creation and Adam and Eve? There were about 30 plus of us in the class. It's a public high school. And so I want you to guess how many of us 
raised our hands? I'll get to the answer towards the end of the sermon. Okay? And you're going to have to wait. But hang on to that question. How many of us raised our hands when he asked that question? See, today I want to talk to you about a reactive word. Last week we had three active words. Obedience, per, you know, he purposed in his mind, and trusting in the dark. Obedience, as Daniel, right, in his heart, he wasn't going to defile himself. And today we look at this different word. So I ask you to open your Bible to the book of Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. Mark, chapter 8. Just one verse here. And I want you to notice that if you have a red letter edition Bible, this is Jesus speaking. And verse 38, after, it's the last verse in this chapter, he says, For whoever is ashamed, and that's the word, the reactive word, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, so he's painting the picture, right? It's going to be dark. It's going to be a sinful and adulterous generation. And he was applying it to his day, but also looking to the future, applying it to us. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, there's a reaction. The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, I want you to understand that in this day, and even to today, the, the, the culture in that area is a very honor and shame culture. If you do something to embarrass them, they're going to retaliate and do something to embarrass you. So Jesus is pointing it out in their culture, but it makes sense even in our culture. If you're ashamed of the cross of Christ, if you're ashamed of believing in Him and professing Him in the last days, when the days get dark, then He will be ashamed of you when He comes in the glory of His Son, I mean, the glory of His Father and with His holy angels. The dictionary defines it this way, feeling shame, ashamed is feeling shame, distressed or embarrassed, feeling foolishness or disgrace over a situation. It gives an example. He felt ashamed for having spoken so cruelly, unwillingly or restrained because of fear of shame or because of fear of ridicule or disapproval. They were ashamed to stand up for Christ. Luke 9.26, you don't have to turn to it because it's basically the same verse. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Right? Many of us are wanting to be active. We want to be obedient. We want to have that singleness of mind. We want to trust God in the dark. But sometimes we're put in positions where all of a sudden, in a context where we didn't think we have to give a testimony for Jesus Christ. Like those high school kids, all of a sudden, thinking it's French class, having to answer a question about the Bible, and about creation, and about Adam and Eve in front of a very popular, well-revered high school teacher. See, the stakes are high when it comes to this word, ashamed, because according to these two verses we read, either we are ashamed of Christ, and if we are ashamed of 
Christ and his word, then he is going to be ashamed of us when he comes back. The implication is that we have lost out on eternal life. So in other words, the opposite of ashamed is that we have to be bold for Christ. In any situation, wherever we are found, we need to stand up for him. In 1993, Clifford Goldstein, which happens to be, or used to be the editor, or probably still is the editor of our Sabbath school, he's a secular Jew who became Seventh-day Adventist, wrote a book called The Day of the Dragon. And he was speculating how could the great controversy theme take place when Russia was still a superpower in the 80s. But by the time he wrote the book in 93, Russia fell quickly. He began to see how the path is opening for our prophetic understanding to take place. But that's not what stood out to me in the book. To this day, I have the book. It's in one of my boxes that I've still yet to unpack. He said what astonished him, though, What astonished me, sorry for the book, wasn't so much his prophetic understanding, because I knew that from the great controversy and from studying the Bible and from other books. He said what surprises him is that he has seen and will continue to see that in the last days many Christians will leave the faith not because of persecution, but because they are ashamed of what they believe and because of ridicule, the way he puts it. In other words, if somebody came up to you having read the Great Controversy book and having known what it says there or what we teach from Scripture and they ask you in front of your secular friend, do you really believe America is going to do that to its citizens? That America, the land of the free, will really persecute its own citizens? Do you really believe if you're in your science crowd that there is a heaven and a hell? Do you really believe what the Bible says about a creature named the devil? That's not sophisticated. Please grow up. That was good for those days. And many people are going to want to fit in with the crowd. Then they are going to be ashamed or ridiculed out of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Clifford Goldstein said is going to be one of the greatest surprises. Imagine all of a sudden you are being interviewed, as he says it, on CNN about a topic of your expertise, and then all of a sudden they whip out the great controversy and says, let's talk about this book, when you weren't ready to talk about this book. So the question is, what about us? Are there parts of your faith in Jesus that you don't share with others? You know, this thing about washing people's feet when we do the Lord's Supper. But what about the part about Sunday laws in the future? Are there parts of what we believe as Christians that you are ashamed of in school or at work amongst your colleagues and peers or friends? <coughs> I think the feeling of being ashamed that those who live in the last days will not have is because those who live in the last days won't be ashamed because they know deep in their heart the goodness of God. They know Him personally. They know Him with a growing knowledge day by day. 
And they know above all else that God loves them no matter what somebody else thinks of them. They know that God loves them even if they don't feel it at the moment. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's after all the T's, where the T starts, First and Second Thessalonians, First Timothy, chapter one, beginning in verse eight. Sorry, Second Timothy, chapter one. Beginning in verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul is saying, Look, do not be ashamed of what? The testimony of the Lord or of me, a prisoner. Why does Paul use these words? Why does the Bible use it? Because the Bible understands our human nature that there will be situations where you will find yourself tempted to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the fact that you may be going through some suffering that others may ridicule you of. Imagine telling your high school friends that I don't eat that because the Bible says not to eat. When they are Christian themselves and say we can eat whatever we can. Right? There are situations that we are put in high school as my story says or as I share, that puts us wanting to minimize the distinctions that we believe. But it's not only the high schoolers or college people, it's adults as well. I know many adults in the sciences, as a matter of fact, I knew a couple of PhD scientists recently graduated from A&M who had the notion, they had ingrained in their belief that I do science during the week and I'm a Christian on Saturday. Because they bought into the fact that science denies what the Bible says about creation and about seven days and resting on the seventh because science teaches me that it happened over millions of years. And they had come to reconcile that, not realizing that they are living a life of shame to what the Bible says. And many scholars on YouTube who are powerful on the evidence of the resurrection will deny the fact that God created in seven days. Look, if God can resurrect somebody from the dead, then creating in seven days is probably not an issue. And we have to be able to defend our faith. And so Paul says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Why would you be afraid? Ashamed, right? The temptation is there to be ashamed of somebody who is supposed to be my leader, but he is in jail. What about the cross of Christ? That's the Savior of the world hanging there on a cross, nailed, bleeding. Couldn't save himself, but he's going to save you. And that's the temptation that many will feel to deny their Lord and Savior. But join me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us 
in Christ Jesus for all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, verse 12, another key verse here, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom, whom for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard that what guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. See, Paul is recognizing this suffering when understood in the through the lens of Christ is nothing to be ashamed of. Paul understood that prison through the lens of Christ is nothing to be ashamed of. Paul understood that the gospel of Jesus dying as a, as a criminal for our sins is nothing to be ashamed of. Paul understood that he was uh, convinced that he was able to guard that which he entrusted to him until eternity. What about us? Can we testify to all we believe when we are going to be threatened with ridicule or being fired because simply we believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's why in Romans 1.16, we're not going to go there, but it's familiar. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? For in it, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. When we think about great war victories, we think of a general marching into a city and destroying all the enemy and planting his flag and parading himself around. Our Savior was crucified on the cross. And that's why the Bible says to the group, to the Greeks, that's foolishness. And to the Jews, a stumbling block. Those who live in the last days in the darkest moments of earth's history will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how ridiculous it may sound to the atheist, to the unbeliever, to the mocking crowd, they are going to stand with the dead, buried, and resurrected Christ every step of the way. You can jot these down. Hebrews 2.11 and 11.16 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus Christ himself is not ashamed to call us frail individuals, frail men, women, and children, his brothers because of the plan of salvation. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Look at it from God's perspective. It's not like we're a shiny Bentley, all powerful and beautiful. We are those in the mud with the pigsty. And yet he can see in us as, 
as drawn down by sin and as degraded by sin, he can see in us shining diamonds that he can polish for his glory and honor. So when he looks at us, when he came down from heaven, seeing people who were helpless enemies and sinners, he said, look, I can see the beauty in them if they will accept my son Jesus Christ. And he's not ashamed to be called our God. Back to the high school story, as I close here, this shorter sermon. So one day, as I mentioned in class, he asked how many believe what the Bible teaches about creation, about Adam and Eve, and everything that took place in Genesis. And I asked a question, guess how many of the 30 plus of us raised our hands? Any guesses? Three. Only one person in that classroom of around 30 plus students, and it wasn't me. It was this Catholic girl right in front of me in class. Put up her hand, and as the professor was looking towards the door, we were sitting by the window. He was scanning. He was scanning slowly, almost as to make sure he was certain. And he was pleasant, well, not pleasant, but he was surprised when that one girl had her hand up. And even though I had left the church from ages 15 to 27, and I was at the beginning of walking away from the bar, I still felt like I should raise my hand. But as he was asking for any more, I was too ashamed to raise my hand. And I didn't. And to this day, I'll never forget that moment that I was ashamed of Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget that, I don't know her name, but I could still see her face, her dirty blonde hair, to about her shoulder blade. Stand, you know, raise her hand proud. She believed that. The professor didn't ask any questions. He just noted it and moved on. I'm reminded of Peter. You know, we talk about Peter's betrayal. But it was his shame, it was him being ashamed of Jesus that led to the betrayal. And because he was ashamed of his crucified, or soon to be crucified Savior, ashamed of what? To be seen with Jesus. Ashamed of what he taught at that moment. He ended up denying, like I did, his Lord and Savior. Yet like Peter, God has forgiven me by his grace. Yet it's a lesson I will never forget. And I pray that it may never happen again. <laughs> See, because having walked with Christ now, but only walking with him by his grace, like Paul, I can say, I am not ashamed. I am no longer ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some lessons in life you never forget. In that moment, because of the peer pressure of a teacher and my high school students, I denied my Lord and Savior 
when I knew I should have raised my hand with that young Catholic <coughs> Hebrew 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before. Here's the key, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everything that people will be embarrassed about Jesus and faith in him, he looked at that and he said, I would gladly take all of that off. To think about it, when we think of the cross and we see pictures, we see a robe around his waist and we think that's how he was crucified. He was crucified in his birthday suit. He was whipped and mocked and ridiculed and scourged. He saw all of that, that which would make anyone feel ashamed. And he said, you know what? For you and for me, I will gladly do that for the glory and honor of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That's another word, right? Despising. He says, look, that's nothing compared to having you and me in heaven. And he sat down at the right hand in the throne of God. Those who live godly lives in the last days will be tempted to be ashamed of Christ, but in the end will not. They would say, I would rather be ridiculed by the world, but be in favor with my God, than to find favor with you and be lost with my God. So I pray that each one here in their own hearts can say in any crowd at any time, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let nothing between you and your Savior. Least of all, let there be shame between you and your Savior. He loves you. He died for you. He despised the shame, endured the cross, because he wants to see you in heaven forever. Don't miss eternal life for this world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you provide. Father, may we stand up boldly for you. But we could only do that if we know you intimately. May we grow in grace. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.